welcome to the Muni Lowdown. My name is Paul Graves, and I'm the managing editor for Deadwire Municipals. Joining me today are my colleague Seth Brumby, the deputy editor, and our assistant editor, Mary Ellen Ty. Welcome, Seth and Mary Ellen. Hope you guys are doing well. Hi, Paul. Hey, Paul. So we got another jam-packed session for this week's podcast, and Puerto Rico always stays in the news. So what's the latest there, Mary Ellen? Thanks, Paul. There were a couple of court hearings yesterday. I'm going to start off with the um, shorter, easier to summarize, already been ruled on one. Um, there was a discussion regarding the there was a discussion about a dispute between the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico and the Puerto Rico Sales Tax Financing Corporation over um, who owns the pledged sales tax from the territory. And the dispute was really focused on a narrow itch issue. Um, basically, some of the lawyers had wanted to return to a couple of causes of action that had been previously dismissed. And the judge um, reiterated that these causes of actions um, challenge issues not exclusively relevant to the scope of the dispute these um the general obligation group the commonwealth has tried to say that cofina shouldn't exist not simply who owns it um which is what they're supposed to be debating and then the um the larger and more interesting case is that aurelius and a Puerto Rico Electric Utility Union are trying to get the Title III for the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico to be thrown out of court. Um, the way they're going about this is they want to argue that members of the Financial Oversight and Management Board are considered officers of the United States, which means that they should have been subject to Senate confirmation hearings. Um, the, op the officers of the Financial Oversight and Management Board were appointed by President Barack Obama in 2016 uh, from lists prepared by Senate and House majority and minority leaders. Um, the arguments sort of boiled down to the Aurelius and the union arguing that, you know, Congress was creating a separate authority. They didn't want to just give someone the same power that Puerto Rico and its elected officials already have. They wanted new powers. Whereas the other parties argued um, that they that the board can only use the powers that Puerto Rico already has. Um, those parties included the Department of Justice, which said that PROMESA, the legislation that gave rise to the board, was uh, was constitutional, and that if PROMESA is found to be unconstitutional in this way, that it could. Uh, lead to the loss of Puerto Rico's self-governance. So if I understand the, the ruling from Judge Swain today, she's essentially saying the COFINA and Commonwealth dispute is really over ownership and not whether or not COFINA should even exist. Yeah, yeah, to go back to that one, um, Swain is just reiterating something that she had already said before, which is that the parties need to stay focused on who owns the money, not whether or not this tax should have been put in place. Nice. And how did, uh, how did the market deal with that? Well, the bonds actually, I think, traded up, uh, especially some of the COFINA bonds. They have, um, there's, there's a related adversary proceeding called uh, Bank of New York Mellon versus COFINA, 
and that is really over about a billion dollars that's currently in an escrow account right now. And the both the general obligation and the COFINA bonds have traded up uh, over the past week, which is interesting because they hit all-time lows in December, so they've bounced a little bit. Whether or not that's a dead cat bounce or whether or not the market is actually placing bets and then hedging themselves on how the litigation goes is something that remains to be seen. But it sounds like that people feel like the litigation might be coming to uh, some resolution here over the next couple of months, and they're getting in their trades now. All right. Uh, definitely a series of issues we'll continue to monitor. Seth, why don't we move on to what's been happening lately in the secondary market? The secondary market for Puerto Rico is has improved over the past month. I don't know if that will last, but I think the market for the most part has slowed down so far this year. I mean, we saw all that supply get pulled forward into December, so it's been kind of a quiet start to the year, and I think just in general, as we had pointed out in last week's podcast, or maybe it was two weeks ago, that there should be much less supply this year in the primary market, which does have a direct effect on the secondary market. A lot of times you'll see funds, if they like new paper coming into the primary market, they'll try and sell out of what some of their positions in the secondary market. And when there's not enough supply, they a lot of times just kind of sit what they already have. So I think if we expect less primary market supply, we'll probably see less secondary market liquidity. Okay, and speaking of the primary market, uh, Mariana, what's happening with the city of Chicago next week, potentially? Thanks, Paul. Um, we're expecting to see uh, $800 million issuance from Chicago of their Sales Tax Securitization Corporation. This is a relatively new structure. They issued about $600 million with it in December. Super well-received in the market. Um, it's being used to restructure their outstanding general obligation debt, basically to get some of it off their books, so that now it's just backed by this sales tax securitization. They expect to do about $2.3 billion of that this year, being um, calendar 2018. Yeah, that'll be a nice deal to watch here in January. As I just pointed out, there's not going to be a lot of action in the market, so to have Chicago kind of wake some people up uh, will be nice, actually. And Seth, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, there's some gaming uh, stuff going on there. Can you tell us a little bit more? So this was interesting. We have a reporter, uh, Kathy O'Donnell, over in Harrisburg, and she covers Pennsylvania appropriately. And she had found a, a lawsuit earlier this week. Uh, Mountain View Thoroughbred Racing Association was suing Governor Wolf over some legislation that would allow for Category 4 uh, casinos, or rather mini casinos, uh, to uh, their auction off uh, licenses, basically, to have mini casinos throughout the state of Pennsylvania. And the goal was really to generate economic activity. Um, Mountain View Thoroughbred operates a Hollywood casino at Penn National Racecourse, and they sued the governor because they essentially believe that this is going to cannibalize the existing gaming revenue in the state. And essentially what that means is this is not going to generate new revenue. It's just going to take the existing gamblers and put them someplace else, i.e. away from their casino. So they sued the governor, 
And then the following day, they the there was an auction for these Category Four licenses, and uh, guess who won the winning bid? Uh, thoroughbred. <laughs> yes, Mountain View Thoroughbred. There was a winning winning bid for some of the mini casino licenses. And interestingly enough, no, they're not going to drop their lawsuit. What they did was they looked at the auction and their winning of the auction as a way of protecting their flank. So this is just, I, I guess, what happens when you are trying to uh, pull the same levers for revenue and they're starting to dry up. Um, I don't know what the state of Pennsylvania or how this will all, if it does generate revenue is what I'm trying to say. But it'll be interesting going forward to see how this does kind of stir the pot. Yeah, it'll be interesting if, if they bought those and then just don't intend on opening them, what Pennsylvania will do, right? I, that's That could be one way, but although spending $50 million without the intention of uh, trying to create revenue off of that, I mean, that, that should be an investment uh, more than anything for uh, um, Mountain View Thoroughbred. But, you know, we'll see what they do. Uh, there's supposed to be, I think, another round of auctions at a certain point. They didn't announce that or when that would happen. So this is coming, and I think that what they're trying to do is just protect their existing business interests and take advantage of expanding them, of course, all the while saying, this is not fair. So, Yeah, and no matter what they do, I think that there's going to be, that there will be some at truck stops. I'm not sure how they'll be able to outmaneuver that because those seem to be open to people that have truck stop facilities within certain parameters, and there's nothing they can do there. Nothing Thoroughbred can do there, not Pennsylvania. There you go. Yeah, this whole idea of expanding gaming is a curious one to me, so I'll be interested to see how successful or not these different enterprises across various states are as everybody decides that they want to get in on gaming revenue. But uh, we have a few more issues to cover, Seth, and it's really around pensions, I would say. Um, Can you fill us in? Yeah, speaking of gambling, we'll talk about pensions now. So there's there's been a, some interesting news at the start of this year, and I know it's only January 10th, 11th, thereabouts. But so we, we saw that the Supreme Court last week will pick up uh, some litigation coming out of Illinois. It's called uh, Mark Janus versus the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. And essentially Janus is suing AFSCME because it doesn't want to pay agency fees. And this is part of the larger so-called right-to-work issue, uh, where public employees are forced to pay essentially union dues as part of their collective bargaining agreements, and Mark Janis doesn't want to pay for his. And what's unique about this, though, is that up until now, it's really been a state issue, and the state courts have handled uh, agency fees. So this is going to be the first time that the Supreme Court of the United States takes up agency fees. And this could have wide-ranging ramifications for right-to-work states and uh, employees uh, involved in those collecting bargaining agreements. Uh, separately from that, another state issue, so-called the, in, uh, the California rule in California, there was in a, an appeals court decision this past week that basically said that California public employees can have their benefits cut provided that those cuts are necessary for the continued operation of the retirement system. And there's an interesting quote in there, and sorry if this is going to be a little bit long-winded, 
But I think it's important for people to understand when courts take a look at the, the, the benchmarks they're going to use for deciding whether or not pension impairments are possible. Uh, but the judge there ruled if the justification for the changes is the financial stability of the county employee's retirement law, the analysis must consider where the exemption of legacy members from the identified changes would cause that particular system to have difficulty meeting its pension obligations. So in other words, if you don't want to be impaired and you successfully exclude yourself from being impaired and that exclusion uh, negatively affects uh, that pension system's ability to pay their obligations, then you can impair those members. Uh, that could do well in, in, in taking care of holdouts that might not want to agree to uh, pension reductions. So this is, uh, this is an interesting thing coming out of California, too. And then finally, we have in Kentucky, uh, there was some concern. that These aren't lawsuits so much, but there's some new analysis out of Kentucky that really went after a, a level funding pension proposal. What this is, it's a continuation of reform started in 2017 that would change a defined benefit plan and gradually move people on to a contribution 401k type plan. And uh, I think the long story short about this is in order for this to happen, either the state of Kentucky is going to have to significantly raise revenue or it's going to have to dramatically uh, cut some expenses, and most of the analysis was coming out of, uh, I'll just say, um, people concerned with the school system there, saying that you know if, if you allow this type of transition to happen, it's going to come on the backs of next generations because they won't have the type of education that they need. So there's lots of pension stuff to kick off the new year. This was something that we had talked about in, in recent podcasts, too, of maybe being the theme in 2018. And it sounds like states, whether or not they're in the heartland or on the coast or in urban centers, are all wrestling with it in their own ways. All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, look forward to see how all these things kind of unravel as the year goes on. Well, thanks a lot, Marielle and Seth, and thanks for all of you listening in, and we'll talk to you next week.